Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 108, recorded January 3rd in the new year of 2013. Yep, and we're doing, we're jumping back into IDW and we will be pretty heavy into IDW all the way up until the new Star Trek Into Darkness series comes out. Or, it's not a series, it's a movie, isn't it? It's a movie. Yes. Yeah, so... Yes, uh, and I'm looking forward to the countdown. Yeah, so we start the countdown next week in episode 109, but this week we'll just do the ongoing 13, 14, and 15. Which are also excellent. I enjoyed them. These are three of the better comic books I think I've read in a long time. Yes. And all of them give us new information about Star Trek. Uh, the new uh, continuity. Right. Even though the third one is a bit of a retread. Still, as we will get into and discover, uh, they, they, they've been very creative about it. I think more creative than any of the other reboots they've done. Well, Of, of an episode. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think that's what I like most about this series, is that you get something that you're somewhat familiar with, but they do put a really nice spin on it to make it still fresh and new. Yes. And I think these three issues definitely do that for me. Great. However, before we get into the issues, could we maybe talk about a new development in the Trek into Darkness movie? Uh, yeah, it's new today, but by the time we release this, it might be a little old. But uh, True. Yeah. That's always an issue with the <laughs> delays and when we send things. Including when we say, it's almost Christmas! And really, it just doesn't come out until <laughs> well into 2013. So, given that, given that, today, which is the 3rd of, uh, of January, we've got some new HD pictures that either came out today or maybe yesterday, but it's news to us. Right. And these are and from, from Paramount, right? From Paramount. Some of these have been seen before in uh, lower def, standard def kind of pictures. But now here's high def ones that they've officially released. And some of them are not a big deal, but some give us interesting new insights into the movie, I think. Yeah, so uh, there, there was 11 in, in the site that I saw them in. And I would say maybe half of them showed various crew members or stars with guns of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was very gun-focused, I thought, which is right up your alley. It is right up my alley, because i got plenty to say about the guns, and I know you do too. Yeah, so why don't you go first? Uh, how, how do you want to tackle it? Do you want to talk about uh, each picture, or just kind of overall? No, it, well, no, I'd like to just talk about each picture personally. Okay. All right, so the first picture that I saw has uh, a very blonde Kirk holding a... Uh, a neat little gun uh, in like a black leather jacket. Yes. So it's all smoky like an explosion just happened or something. And Kirk looks very, um, I don't know, he looks like a cop or something. But uh, he's got a very cool uh, phaser. 
Right. Yeah, so... Yeah, and his outfit is definitely not Starfleet regulation, which... The only little piece of information I've heard about the movie was that at some point, Kirk and the crew either get kicked out of Starfleet or resign so that they can continue searching for the terrorists or whatever. So maybe this is during that time. Right. Or maybe they've done something where they're officially off the books, but actually secretly doing Starfleet's bidding. Don't right. I, I just there, none of these eleven pictures show Sulu, so I'm hoping that when Sulu does show up, he has that little cape like he did in Star Trek Four. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and in Big Bang Theory. Oh, did he wear it in Big Bang Theory? That was great. Yes, <laughs> he had that particular outfit on, which might have been his. Uh, it, it it might have actually been the original one. Who knows? Anyway. Right. But the phaser he's got, I assume it's a phaser, is very cool looking. It does not look like Starfleet issue. And um, it's actually, from the angle I'm looking at, a lot cooler looking than the phaser we saw in the 2009 movie. It seems to almost have two, maybe even three barrels coming out of the front of it. Mm -hmm. And the back of it looks kind of like, you know, a traditional kind of uh, semi-automatic pistol from today. So it looks like there might be kind of a built-up back end, but it does not go much beyond the back of the hand like a like a normal phaser would, right. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, what it reminds me of is RoboCop's gun ah. with, a, with a little bit of a, a larger muzzle because mm-hmm. the muzzle almost <clears throat> looks like it's almost like diamond shape, almost like a little Superman emblem. Yeah. And yeah, then, I guess so. Uh, yeah, and then it has like the the butt of the and the handle of the gun look like it's like RoboCop. So right that that's the vibe that I was getting off of that one cool, cool, but I also can't get past how blonde his hair looks. He looks like Robin Williams's Popeye, yeah, with that <laughs> incredibly blonde hair. it is blonde, it's blonder than uh sh- the shat ever had, I think <laughs> right but the shat was never that blonde, no, and especially in this picture, anyways, anything else on that one? uh no, except that it looks action packed as I think you said prior to recording how could they fit this much action into one photo i don't know (laughs) well that does sound like something i would say it does very appropriate now what's the next one you're gonna go to Uh, the next one i have shows spock in the volcano looks like something we would have seen in the nine minute yes so that one's kind of uh yeah it's just spock looking concerned with volcano stuff going all around him yeah right then the next one shows Hora also in a, a leather jacket and wow, another action-packed one. Yeah, I like this one because her phaser is different than Kirk's. Hers almost looks like a next-generation Klingon disruptor, where it has yes. the uh, you know the 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 muzzle part looks like it's mm-hmm. like you know big and round, right. and then there's like this spindly little clear part, and then it goes that goes into the handle or the I guess handles probably the appropriate word. Yeah, and I I'm kind of wondering if they're supposed to be civilians or something. Maybe it is a Klingon disruptor. Right. Well, there Why is not? talk about them going to Quonos. Yes. Quonos. Quonos. Yes. Or the Klingon homeworld, whatever right. they're going to call it in this one. Right. Interesting so. glove she's got on, or kind of partially has on. It just covers her thumb and index finger. 
Yeah, and you can see part you can see part of her thumb. So it looks like the tips are cut off maybe also. Anyway, a very stylish looking glove. <laughs> so, heavy on the style. All right, I got Scotty in some sort of black trench coat looking thing with with little red piping right at the shoulders. Yep. A cool outfit. Uh, definitely not Starfleet, and he's on his communicator, and he looks really concerned. Looks like <laughs> almost like a like a Nazi type uniform, and I think Ooh, that is actually Nazi. Starfleet because it has a logo on the on the arm. Well, but you don't know what the logo. Well, okay. There's no com badge or any kind of patch on the normal spot right. on his chest. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's their new away mission jacket because it does have the red piping, which he is a red shirt. So oh, it would make okay. Sense. Yeah, or so, maybe yes. that maybe that's yes. a clear plastic window that's yeah, just displaying so. his shirt beneath. I th- I think it's possible. I think All it's right. possible. Anything's possible. All right. Anyways, next. like it. Next one, Cumberbatch with a trench coat jumping through a window. Uh huh. I Which think that right. comes from the trailer. Exactly, straight from the trailer. So, really, not much new to say. Uh, at least I don't see anything else in the picture that really yeah. sticks out. Nope. Uh, next one, Cumberbatch in the brig doing his menacing Loki impression. <laughs> and that's the one with just him. Yep, yep, just right. him. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And then the next one is him and Kirk kind of facing off. Okay, cool. Now, um, Cumberbatch is a very tall man. Yet, he look. it looks here like Kirk is exactly his height, or maybe even a little taller. Yeah, it does. So I didn't realize that uh, Chris Pine was that tall. I mean, I, I knew he wasn't a small man, but um, interesting heights. Mm. I've never seen Cumberbatch as... Uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, so I don't know how tall he is in compared to other people. He appears quite tall, but he does stand next to Martin... Um, Bilbo? Martin, Mar- exactly. Martin Freeman? Is it Freeman? Right. Yeah, Freeman. Okay, so, but he's a, he's a pretty short guy. So maybe he just appears really big, but, but yeah. Definitely short. He only came up to Ian McKellum's, <laughs> like, waist. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let's not get things mixed up here, my friend. <laughs> he's not a hobbit. Oh, okay. He just <laughs> plays one on TV. Exactly. All right, the next picture I have is Cumberbatch in his... Uh, black shirt holding the a phaser or a gun of some sort right so again he's he's got a starfleet uh long undershirt black undershirt kind of thing that goes underneath the tunics mm-hmm. i want one of those shirts i've got one what really you want? you want one i got one well, i have to go get me one it's not the best one in the world you can get them at entertainment earth all right dot com little plug there i want a discount next time i buy something all right <laughs> And he's holding what appears to be a phaser, doesn't he? Yeah, so you had some interesting things to say about that. Now, the the very tip of it's cut off on my picture. Yeah, But you can see too. the maybe the handle and the, the butt of it. Yeah, for the most part, you can see the back top of it, and that's pretty much it. So you can't see the, the, the business end at all. Uh, and maybe you can see more than I can see, but I can just see the back top of it. And it does look like it extends backwards beyond the palm, you know, behind the back of the hand. So it's like like over the wrist or something like that. A little bit more the configuration that a Starfleet phaser might be in. However, 
though it does come back a bit, it does not look the same as the 2009 movie uh, Phasers. Because the, now, the 2009 one, it had that tapered end at the end, right? It was it was more tapered than this, yes. Yeah, this one looks pretty blunt at the end. Yep, at the back part of it, right? Right. Yep. So uh, so far, I'm liking the weapons. They look yeah. pretty cool in these photos. And I like how they're all different. So. Right. Not everybody is going to be issued with the same gun. Yep. And I also remember very briefly we see in the trailer, one of the trailers anyway, where Kirk is holding a rifle and advancing on something that you can't see in the quick shot they have. Right. And it's very fast, brief. And I've never taken the time to pause it, but I think that rifle, from briefly what I saw of it, I like it. I like it better. It looks cooler than the rifle they had in one of the um, ongoing comics. The one that the right, one that right, did the, right. the first one that did the reboot of yeah, Where No Man Has Gone Before. before. Right. Exactly. That was not a good looking rifle in that comic. <laughs> Didn't like it. Right. I don't know you what episode that. it is, but I'm pretty sure I said the same thing back then. You did. Anyway. <laughs> All right. The next picture I have is just uh, Kirk and Carol Marcus kind of looking off to the side. Cool. And she looks very cute and very short. She is very cute and very short. Yes. Lovely. All right. The next is Pike and Kirk sitting into like lounge chairs or some sort of sofa chair staring into each other's eyes. Maybe playing the staring <laughs> game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure. I, and, and I'm just going to guess because you can see there's a desk in the background between them. So you can see the, the, the high back chair in the background. I think they're in Pike's office. I'm going to guess that. Right. Probably. But the important thing is what, Donovan? Uh, Pike is not in a wheelchair. No, he is not. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that he can walk around and stuff, but... Let's hope he can. I I'm thinking that. I mean, I, from what I saw in the movie, <clears throat> first movie, I, I didn't buy that he was going to be in the wheelchair forever. Right. With Starfleet technology? Come on. Yeah. So yeah, if they can build a, a Enterprise that much more advanced than the original Enterprise, they that can take off from a planet <laughs> and underwater and end up underwater. I agree. <laughs> I agree, my friend. Um, to note on that one, you, I, I think it's interesting that Pike has the traditional Starfleet sideburns that go into the point where oh. Kirk's <laughs> is uh, cut off. You know, a uh, very sharp. Uh, straight angle off the ear. Good point. Very similar to the original movie Sideburns, but n yeah, I agree with you. It, it's it's not quite as pointy. Right. It's kind of uh, chopped off at the bottom. Where where I thought, I think Pikes looks very similar to the original series. Right. They're really long, though. Look at Pikes. <laughs> they Pikes, are. They're almost like, if, if he went a little further with this, he could have mutton chops or something. He, both of them look like they could almost have mutton chops. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. Yeah, but look, okay, so look at their dress. You, okay, you, well, folks out there, maybe you're looking at the photos you can, but uh, uh, Kirk definitely has a gray uniform there. Right. And looking at the braid on the sleeves, I mean, he's a captain. So this is not a look back, look back folks. Um, but it definitely is a uh, a gray flannelly kind of looking uh, dress uniform. Mm-hmm. And cool. where where Pikes looks almost a green gray. 
Mm-hmm. And Pike has a like a Wrath of Khan type turtleneck, <laughs> uh, whereas yeah, Pike's or where Kirk's is pretty much straight. Looks like a suit collar. Right. Suit yeah. collar of the future. <laughs> suit collar of the future. <laughs> uh, very cool looking uh, dress uniforms, but yeah, you know. All right, so let's keep moving. The last picture I have shows Spock with a, another type of gun kind of looking off and three of his fingers are splayed out while he's holding the gun up to his head. Which in, in a, makes in it a, possible for him to use it much better. <laughs> he might be signaling to somebody off to the side. Oh, could be, could be. Like three, two, one kind of thing. And and this pistol, again, looks a bit different from the other ones we saw. Of course, this is a slightly different angle than some of the other ones, so who knows. But what does it remind me of, Donovan? Uh, the Michael Keaton Batman uh, Batarang shooter thing? Because that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> <laughs> that, could, that could work, too. But no, it reminds me of Decker's uh, PKD pistol out of Blade Runner. Now that one had like two or three barrels too, or was it just one it big barrel? Okay, it had it had two barrels because it had uh, it shot bullets, but it also shot a little grenade kind of thing. Mm. So like um, Battlestar Galactica, the reboot one, their pistols also shoot an explosive charge in addition to bullets. Right, but it's not as it's not as versatile as Judge Dredd's lawgiver. Oh, not at all. Where he could just yeah. say, just give it a command and it exactly. would be whatever he wanted. Like, hot shot. From the last movie, which was very cool. Starring McCoy. As Starring Judge McCoy. That, uh, tie-in. We've got a tie-in. Bing, bing, bing. We've got a tie-in. That's great. Actually, it was just McCoy, McCoy's chin. I, I don't know if ah. the rest of uh, <laughs> McCoy was actually in the movie. No. No, just the chin, pretty much. Chin and mouth. That's about it. Right. Okay, so that's all the photos, right? It's all the ones I had. Yep, and I think we mentioned all the observations there is to mention. Yep. Or at least that we made, anyway. And I hope that everybody listening at home had it in front of them, otherwise they are going to be very bored during all that. <laughs> Thank God for fast forward. Okay, shall we get into our comics for the day? You want to actually talk about Star Trek? Let's please get back to Star Trek. <laughs> and our three issues, which are very fine. Yeah, so uh, I have the honors of doing the first one. It's uh, issue number 13. Uh, the title I cannot find anywhere in the book itself. Uh, on the website that I purchased comic books from, uh, they have it listed as The Red Shirt's Tale, so I'm just going to call it that. Uh, it came out in September of 2012. The writer was Mike Johnson. The artist was Stephen Molar. Colorist, John Roach. Letterer, Neil Yutaki. Creative consultant is Roberto Orki. And editor is Scott Dunbar. So, as with all of these, the uh, main cover shows the uh, Starfleet swoosh in the middle. Uh, inside this one is a shot of the Enterprise with a top-down type view. Uh, around the swoosh is a close-up of a man's chest wearing a red shirt. And then at the lower end of the painting, we see three men and one w woman 
all wearing red shirts. Uh, and the women are kind of depicted a little different because they're faceless and they almost look like cardboard cutouts type. They don't look like actual people. Cover B, black and white version of the same picture. And cover C is a photo of Chekhov uh, using the upright glass transporter controls from, from Star Trek the movie. So the story starts off with Lieutenant Hindorf, a.k.a. Cupcake. He is recording a message to his mother and father. After a few pleasant opening comments, he goes into talking about his current assignment aboard the USS Enterprise. He starts off by talking about Kirk. He talks about he had a meeting with the captain shortly after Kirk took command, and the two cleared the air about their rocky first few meetings, uh, the first one being the bar fight, and then the second one being uh, Kirk, Kirk's reappearance on the Enterprise uh, after being trans-beamed. He tells the captain that he will follow whoever is in command and that the past is the past. No hard feelings. Hindorf then continues to talk about how Kirk was given command of Starfleet's flagship incredibly fast. But he knows that Kirk and Spock single-handedly saved the universe from Nero. He wonders why Spock did not get promoted instead. But then he does admit that the cold Vulcan logic does put people off. Hindorf then goes to talk about the boy genius Chekhov, the athletic Sulu, the beautiful Uhura, the caring yet grumpy McCoy, and finally he talks about the highest ranking red shirt on the ship, Scotty, and how he is making uh, close friends with Scotty by finding him rare malt liquors. All right, so next he talks about how all the cadets, uh, after they graduate from the academy, are split up and given their shirts. The hot dogs get the gold shirts of command. The doctors and scientists, a.k.a. the brains, get the blue. And then the true worker bees of Starfleet get the red. So red is for all the hardworking techs, security guards, and engineers that make the running and safety of the ship possible. His next story is a retelling of a recent away mission that he, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and three other red shirts were recently on. Almost immediately after beaming down, Spock was attacked by a plant spitting poison thorns. Hendorf jumps in front of him and takes most of the deadly thorns in his chest. Or actually, it's kind of like all over. McCoy leaps to his side and Hendorf blacks out. He wakes up much later and finds himself in a hammock of some sort with a beautiful young woman perched beside him. She speaks smoothly to him, but he cannot understand her. McCoy soon arrives and tells him that he's going to try to inject him with some of Spock's blood uh, as a possible antidote to the poison that's racing through his veins, since Spock also got hit by these plants and did not die. As the red liquid is injected, Hindorf starts to have some sort of seizure and passes out. Later, he wakes again. This time, he's on the Enterprise, and the beautiful Ahura is standing above him. She's having a conversation with Spock about how reckless Spock has been. Spock notices that Hindorf is awake and stops the conversation. McCoy again shows up and tells the security officer that he's going to make a full recovery. 
Later in the mess hall, Hindorf and three other red shirts discuss the recent mission. The, th- the other three talk about how they also had close calls of their own. One was almost zapped by lightning. One almost stepped on a mine. And the blonde woman was almost eaten by the locals. They are all proud to have disproven the quote-unquote red, cur- red shirt curse. Then they get noticed that their friend aboard the USS Shepard died in the line of duty. They all raise their glasses to his memory. Hendorf then finishes letter to his parents. He tells them not to pay too much attention to the jokes and stories that red shirts are disposable. He tells them that he will always be fine and for them not to worry. The end. Very optimistic to say that he will always be fine, but good. Yeah, I thought that was a little odd wording. <laughs> I will always be fine. So well, I really liked this issue. I like it too. It was very good to see the world from the what had always been, especially in the original series, the most disposable folks on the Enterprise. Right. So I do have one complaint, and it's the title of the episode or issue. Okay. The and that is that maybe why they didn't bother publishing it on the book. I don't know, but okay. I'm also upset with the credits themselves. All the other Star Trek comic books have said at the beginning, based on episode blah blah written by so and so. Right. This one did not do that. I mean, it's a very loose adaptation of The Apple, which was written by Max Ehrlich, which is the only time Hindorf was ever actually on an actual episode of the original series. Oh, you got, you got that one in reserve, huh? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> when you talked about this being uh, a loose adaptation of The Apple, I didn't know what the heck you were talking about. So there actually was uh, a red shirt named Hendorf that was in that episode. Yes, he's in it. Very for cool. Okay. About two seconds. Kirk <laughs> to him as Hendorf as he's getting hit in the chest with the the poison darts from the plant. Cool. That is so cool. <laughs> and I had no idea. Also in that episode, the uh, the one guy steps on a mine which was mm-hmm. not really a mine it was a uh, uh some sort of metal that they find that if, if it gets struck too hard it explodes after okay. like spock manhandles it for a while and then he just kind of tosses it and it explodes <laughs> and then uh then one poor guy steps on it later and it blows up again uh ah. and, and one woman one guy gets hit by lightning and that's it so only three of them die in that episode no, that's not too bad. But still, that's a, that's a, that's a relatively low body count. <laughs> but I thought that was that was a you know it wasn't the greatest episode ever. Uh, no, but it, it wasn't was at all. One of the stronger uh, red shirts are disposable type episodes. <laughs> and that's it, great. You know, spend half of this issue <clears throat> the events of that story told from a slightly different point of view, but they don't even give credit at the beginning. I thought that was kind of unfair hmm. i would have never missed it ever you would have pretty good you would have never missed it i would have never missed i would have never yeah i would have always missed it never caught it that's oh, that's you, pretty good 
You didn't catch. And it, by the way, Hendorf is was played by Mal Friedman. In the new movie? No, in the in the original series episode, which uh, which premiered on October thirteenth, nineteen sixty seven. And who else was a famous guest star that was on that episode? Don't know. David Soul, Hutch, from Starsky and Hutch. Uh, who was he? He was Makora. You remember Makora, don't you? Uh, I, I I think he was one of the natives. Okay, yeah, he was one of the uh, one of the. Uh, I always call them Thals because, but that's not what they're called. Maybe they're yeah. called Balls. I don't remember. The name sounded very similar to what the uh, alternate race of the Daleks are. Okay. My wife and I always make make fun that it's the same race. <laughs> wow, that's great. Because <laughs> well, in, the, in the Doctor Who movie with with uh, Peter Cushing as the Doctor. Yes. He goes to Scarrow, meets the Thals, and uh-huh. they're depicted as hairless. Their arms and chests are hairless. They're painted a weird color, and they have really heavy eye makeup and really bad wigs. Uh-huh. <laughs> the episode of the Apple, they're on they're a They're kind of like that. All the men are hairless, uh, chest and arms, painted a weird color with heavy makeup on their face and really bad wigs. And then they sound the same, Thal versus Val. So my wife and I always make fun that it's the same, same people. Wow, that's great. <laughs> my wife and I never make jokes like that. Funny. Hmm. Anyway, cool. <laughs> You're lost, man. I know that. I know that. And a Whovian. And a Whovian. What, what a catch. What a catch. I'm not complaining. No, you shouldn't. Since she doesn't listen to the show, I can say whatever I want to. Right. <laughs> anyways, so uh, anyways, I really like this this episode. Uh, yeah. This issue. issue. The only thing I did not like was the first several pages where he's going through the whole cast. Oh yeah. And well, it was kind of it was kind of a Star Trek reboot for dummies issue. <laughs> I mean, they even talked about what all the different colors are in the shirts. I like that part. I, yeah. I liked that part. I just. Of all the people he's going to talk about, he's only going to mention the five or six people that we know of. Why didn't he talk about uh, the all other buddies that he's other redshirt buddies that he's yeah. drinking with at the end? Right. I think those would be in his circle of friends more so than check off the boy genius. Yeah. Yeah. But but really, we don't care about that. So <laughs> I did. I wanted to know more about those people. Uh, I didn't. But so. <laughs> I mean, to some degree, it was it was okay that they did all that. It's just that I was waiting to get over with it because I know all them. It's right. like I've known each incarnation of them. I know more incarnations of these people, and I do. I really don't need to hear about it again. But yeah. it was fine. Yeah, but whatever. I, I'm not complaining too much. That was just the one part of the issue that I didn't really care for. Yeah. And then they made Sulu into some wrestling champ, which seemed kind of random. Yeah, especially against Hindorf. He probably at least has 50 pounds on Sulu. And a goatee, so that makes him tougher. Exactly. He's got facial hair. I don't even think Sulu can grow facial hair. <laughs> Anyways. So, Cupcake and Ohura? Hmm. Well... I, I, I didn't realize they had a little bit more of a history. Not that it was necessarily a romantic history. They just they just knew it. They're friends. I was kind of got... 
I got the feeling that Hindorf was sweet on Uhura in the uh, the movie. If from the uh, bar fight? Yeah. Yeah. He he did kind of jump on that pretty quickly, didn't he? Right. It, it, it makes more sense now how he got involved so quickly with that. Right. That he knew her and maybe was sweet on her. But uh, now he's going to be sweet on this uh, this lovely lady that's sitting on his lap in the hammock. Oh, he wishes. <laughs> and you'll notice that she's even involved in trying to hold him down when he starts convulsing from the cure. Right. Yeah, which well, is kind of funny because she's not really there. But No, she is there. That's one of the natives of that planet. Oh, I thought that was all uh, mystery. I thought that was all, like, in his head. No, no. Well, at first, when I first turned the page, that's what I thought. But then, reading it, uh, McCoy does say that they made friends with the natives and that he's... And this woman is not that bad of even a nurse. I think he says something like that. Are you kidding? She'd be a great nurse. (laughs) Well, what's funny in that episode, uh, The Apple, is that they don't have relationships. So... When they see Chekhov and one of the other red shirts kind of kissing, they they they're they're puzzled about what what this kissing stuff is. <laughs> so there's nothing sensual about her sitting in his lap because they don't have that kind of stuff on that planet. Hmm. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. This totally seems like his best fantasy come true. Well, that's what I thought at first, but Hamana, Hamana. She's definitely, uh, you know, yep. she's even yep. picked it in the same makeup as they are in the in that episode. Yeah, and uh, McCoy does talk about her. Your new friend here is taking quite a liking to you. Yeah, <laughs> as you mentioned. But also in that scene when he's showing Hindorf the cure, the yeah. Vulcan blood that he's going to inject into him. Right. The red Vulcan blood. Yep. What? Yep. What? Exactly. So in the alternate universe, Vulcan blood is red? Maybe. You don't know. I don't see how Nero could have changed that. Mm. (laughs) I'm going with it just being a miscoloration. Probably. Probably. What else you got? What else you got? Well, um, I thought it was good that Cupcake took those darts for Spock. Mm-hmm. He knows his job. Damn it. Um, also, it appears as if uh, Cupcake and Red Shirts in general are going to hang around in Abrams, uh, Abrams' version of Star Trek. Well, in the first movie, we only got one, one died in the movie, right? I don't remember. Yeah, he fell, but... into, the, uh, fell into the mining laser. Because he didn't want to pull his parachute fast enough oh that's the engineer that was the chief engineer right and he was so he's not a security guy well yeah he's not a security guy he's an engineer he was a chief engineer i always thought he was the tolkien red shirt from from the movie okay yeah well uh yeah so it's kind of cool that they're not just going to use him as a uh a tool to show how serious things are right so that's good yep i like that yeah so on page three, when Kirk is pictured in the flashback mm-hmm. from the 2009 movie, and he was in engineering, you know that's you know, that's when he just got transwarped on, as you had mentioned, onto mm-hmm. the ship. Right. He's got a gold shirt on, gold oh. man shirt on. Wow, good point. And he should have not had a tunic on at all, just the the black long shirt. 
Actually, he should have been wearing the the. Oh, the, the jacket, coat. the coat. Yeah. Right. Well, didn't he take the coin coat off at some point? Uh, I thought it was after he got Scotty out of the the water tube. Because as soon as Scotty well, comes out of the water tube, that's when Cupcake shows up. Oh. Well, either way, he wouldn't have a gold shirt on. So I agree with you 100. percent A little bit of a not, little bit of mistake there. Did not catch that. Good, good call. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, I thought Scotty's eyes were really wigged out when he got the bottle of scotch from <laughs> from uh, from from Hindorf. Right. I mean, he was he was really looking happy. I mean, like like the kind of happy that goes along with alcoholic. But whatever. <laughs> Yes, and what, what's what's odd about that is they, they make it sound like that's the only way Hindorf is able to make it, you know, doing his you know engineering rotation is oh. because he's liquoring up the chief engineer. <laughs> so I didn't really. I thought that part was like he can't make it on his own. He has to. Oh. I beam. Yeah. It was a fun little scene. Yeah, I, it I was fun there. Yeah. It doesn't mean he isn't contributing in in more traditional ways too. But, well, but doesn't yes. Scotty like tear up something and then he just tells Kinzer, Kinzer, put this back together. I'm going to go off have a drink. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Kinzer definitely it seems to be. Well, okay, we're gonna let's get into that in the next issue. Right. Because I have some stuff to say about that. If it's anything other than how much you love Kinzer, I don't know if I want to hear it. <laughs> no, Kinzer's great. Okay. That's all I got to say about this one. All right. Same here. Excellent. Okay. So let's go to the next issue. Uh, this is – this has no title. It is issue 14. Uh, at least there's no title that I can find in it. So I'm just going to title it The World According to Mr. Kinzer. That's what I'm going to title it. Because definitely we, we – this issue definitely looks at things from the standpoint of our favorite little engineering troll – and we get a lot of backstory, as you'll find out now. Our creative team is Mike Johnson, artist Stephen Molnar, colorist is John Rausch, letterer is Neil Yataki, Scott Dunbuyer is the editor, and creative consultant is Roberto Orki. The primary cover shows Mr. Keenzer and Scotty within a Starfleet swoosh in the center of the page. A dark brown and hairy alien monster is on the bottom of the cover, baring his sizable teeth. Some kind of large hangar-like area runs across the top of the cover. Perhaps that's the inside of the Starfleet outpost on Delta Vega? Not sure. Uh, the art is by Tim Bradstreet, and the color is by Grant Golish uh, on that cover. The alternate cover A is a black-and-white version of the regular cover. Art by Tim Bradstreet. The alternate cover B shows a photo of the Enterprise with Saturn or perhaps some other ringed light brown planet as its backdrop. Our story opens with Mr. Keenzer as he is making observations about being aboard the Enterprise. He, sa- he thinks to himself, the ship's too big. The people are too big. The chairs are too short since his nose is even with the tabletops when he sits in them. In engineering, the controls are too high. It appears as if he just does not feel like he fits in there. Scotty approaches him and addresses him 
as Wee Monster. Scotty wants to know why Keenzer has not finished the diagnostic and moved on to the dilithium scrubber tasks he was assigned to four hours ago. Mr. Keenzer says he cannot because he cannot reach the controls. Scotty says maybe he is too small to effectively serve aboard a starship. Keenzer thinks how ironic it is that Scotty considers him too small since he was a giant among his own people when he was a kid. Long ago, he starts thinking back in his childhood, when he was a large child that was constantly being teased by the other children due to being so much larger than them. One time he was even tackled to the ground by three other children and not allowed up until his father shooed the ruffians off. Father told him that he has to stand up for himself, given that His intellect is as large as his physical size. He is destined for greatness. Father stops that discussion and brings Keenzer to first contact with the Federation that just happens to be taking place then. Captain Roubaud, again, as you may recall from the 2009 movie, Lieutenant Commander Kirk, and Lieutenant Kabantar, of the Federation ship Kelvin are introducing themselves to a group of Keenzer's people called the Roylands. They accept the gift of a universal translator device and enter a great hall for a feast. Keenzer is fascinated with the shuttlecraft that Captain Roubaud came down in. Later, Kirk and Kabentire are trying to debug the shuttle that is offline. So far, they have not pinpointed the problem source. Keenzer walks up to them and hands them a glowing green translucent object. Kirk is surprised to discover the glowing object displays a schematic of the shuttle, which points directly to the problem. They need to reroute power to the inertial dampeners. They ask how Keenzer could possibly have done this. Later still, the shuttle lifts off with Keenzer on board. His mother tells his father that Keenzer is too young to go off like this. His father says the planet is too small for him and that he will be making history. On the shuttle, Kirk is helping Keenzer get over a little case of air sickness as they approach the Kelvin. Three years later, Mr. Keenzer is graduating from Starfleet Academy with honors and as the first Royland to graduate. He is sad, though, since the Calvin and all his friends were lost only months before. Years pass as he is assigned to ships and star bases. Eventually, he is promoted to chief engineer and assigned to a new research station on Delta Vega. He works hard with his team to get the station fully operational. Four additional years pass, and most of the station's personnel have moved on to new posts, but not him. Scotty arrives at the station, and their friendship develops as Scotty drinks the last of Keenzer's Romulan ale. Keenzer's minimal chit-chat is more than made up for by Scotty's non-stop talking. During an ill-advised walk outside suggested by Scotty, they come face-to-face with the nasty red monster that Kirk and old Spock dealt with back in the 2009 movie. Scotty runs, knowing it's unlikely they will be able to outrun it. Keenzer stands his ground, and the monster backs down and leaves. 
Scotty thanks Keenzer for saving his life and pledges to repay him by getting him off this bloody frozen rock one way or another. Keenzer's reverie is ended by Scotty, who is loudly asking if he is even listening to him. Scotty assumes Keenzer is giving him the silent treatment and suggests maybe another post on the ship would be better suited to his wee size than engineering. Keenzer responds by pointing to a specific spot on a ship's diagnostic panel and saying, Problem! Scotty recognizes it as a really big problem as Keenzer climbs up to the point of almost reaching an auxiliary access opening and says, Lift! Scotty lifts Keenzer up to where he can climb in. All the while, Scotty is blaming Starfleet for not filling his parts requests quickly enough. Keenzer makes his way into the small tubular conduits that only he could fit in until he reaches the location of the problem. He pulls out a welding torch and puts his protective goggles on. When Keenzer comes back out, he is helped to the ground by Scotty, who says he does not know how he fixed it or how he knew where to fix it, but the ship is back to running normally. Scotty sheepishly states how he was going on and on about how Keenzer was too small to work engineering. Then he goes ahead and fixes a problem that could have resulted in a catastrophic failure in an auxiliary access tube that was never meant for manual access, thereby saving the ship. Keenzer asks Scotty to say it. Scotty says, what? Keenzer repeats himself, and Scotty finally says he was wrong. To which Keenzer makes a sound like, he repeats the sound over and over again. Scotty asks if he's laughing. All the time they've been together, and Scotty has never heard Keenzer make that sound before. And he won't stop! As the Enterprise streaks into the awaiting unknown, Scotty is pleading for Keenzer to stop. <laughs> the end. Nice. Nice. A little, a little humor at the end. Yeah, so I... And, and not really forced, as it was often the case in the original TV show. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so if this one is based on an episode, uh, I do not know it. Um, I don't think it is. <laughs> Although, yeah. if anybody would know, you would. Yeah, and I don't. Right. So this is very original. It's an original character. Well, Scotty is an original, but Mr. <laughs> Keenzer is. And it's pretty cool. Scotty as a jerk is somewhat original. <laughs> well, he's kind of a jerk, but he's kind of a funny jerk. Call, you know, referring to him as Wee Monster. That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, but he's... <laughs> I just think he's a little too mean to uh, Kinzer at times. Uh, yeah, but he doesn't mean anything by it, I don't think. Yeah. Whether he means anything by it or not, it still hurts his feelings. Well, it's like, uh, you know, it's like uh, Jordy kidding the uh, Mr. Mock or whoever that hair cutter guy is. You know. Mott? Mott. Okay, Mott. Mott. Like the applesauce. So it's like, uh, you know, once you know somebody well enough, you know, you can get him. Yeah, well... That's that's kind of how I look at it, but yeah, yeah. But kids are never gives back. It's kind of the same reason why I always had a problem with Pulowski. 
that she oh, was a jerk yeah. and Data was never, you know, he never gave it back to her. He just well, took yeah, it. he took it because you know, yeah, Pulaski could be a jerk, especially in the comics. Yeah, but anyways, I I really enjoyed this this issue. It is. I I had no idea of the backstory of him. No, because it's never been told before. Exactly. So it's wonderful. No, I you really know? liked it. You know, I thought maybe, you know what, maybe he came from Tatooine or something. I don't know, but <laughs> no, it turns out that he came from a different planet. Tatooine. You're joking, right? Of course I'm joking. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Well, come on. Didn't that come from from some... Star Wars vibe or something that that got into JJ's head. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like he looked kind of like a, a Jawa. Is that what you're trying to say? A little bit. Okay. Right. Looked like a Jawa, only without the without the hood and everything. Right. No, I totally see that. Yeah. All right. But uh, no, I really liked it. Really liked the backstory. Um, I thought having the Kelvin there was cool for fan service, and I really enjoyed it. Although it seemed a little convenient that yeah Kirk Kirk's father yep. was such a big player in him you know making it to the federation yep but I, i'm going to give it to him cuz i just enjoyed this issue so much i did too it, it was actually nice to see Kirk's father uh referred to again in another mm-hmm. story I, I thought i thought yeah. that was and and, and i like uh, what captain rubau rubau yeah rubau um, I liked him. I thought he was really – he wasn't in that, that first movie long enough. Right. Yeah, and, and I liked you know just referencing that the Kelvin was out there doing its thing for a while before, yep. before Nero showed up. Right. I did kind of I, – I, I, I thought their uniforms in this issue, the, the Kelvin's uniforms, mm-hmm. they had a few variations that I thought was a little different um, okay. in that – Lieutenant Kirk, Kirk's father. Mm-hmm. Um, he he wears like a gold shirt. Yes, a gold shirt with an interesting. It, yeah, so it's it's gold, and then it's got, like a, got a gray top, gray blue top, and uh, and a gray bottom. But it's all gray from the back. I mean, was was this what they were wearing in the movie? Well, they never had the gray one, and and. Where are you saying that it's all gray on the back? Because I'm looking on page six and it's it's gold in the back. Well, I'm looking at page eight and it's all gray on the back. Page eight. Oh, yeah, sure is. So one of them's off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of wondering if they're all off because in the movie yeah. we saw that engineering and command both wore the blue gray. It, it almost looked like the. Pike, or not the Pike, the uh, Archer era uniforms. Yeah. But they were all kind of the same color, hmm. but with different, you know, accents. Right. Uh, I never saw anybody wearing a uh, yellow shirt like this. Right. And definitely uh, Captain Rabot and uh, the other guy who have a hard time pronouncing his name, <laughs> they got blue on. Right. Which matches the movie. Yeah. So does this this mean that it's further in the past before the movie and Kirk? Well, he was Lieutenant Commander in here, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, Lieutenant he Commander Kirk. Lieutenant Commander Kirk. Yeah, and this hmm. is his first first contact mission, which I thought right. was a little weird. 
Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you think by the time you're a lieutenant commander, you might have had one of these underneath your belt by now? Right. Yeah. But, anyways, I'm going to give it to him. I liked it. Right. Really liked it. Yeah. And then I like seeing the Kelvin there on page nine. Mm-hmm. NCC 514. I guess I never really paid attention to what its number was in the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if I noticed in the movie, but I've I've seen a lot of pictures of the Kelvin since then. Um, either fan-generated, you know, computer-generated ones and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And that matches NCC 514? Yes, and there's one that's an interesting one. Well, I'm not going to go into it. But <laughs> but but there's one there's one fan-generated one, which is like the uh, NCC 0515 or something like that, and both of them are shown next to each other. And these these two generated versions of these of these ships are identical, except that they've swapped the engineering and the nacelle position. So in the you know so in the move in, in their actual Kelvin, the engines on the bottom, and the engineering and the shuttle bays are on top. Okay. This one just swapped their position. Anyway, could, so we're we're, we're getting deep upside anyway. down. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I'll send you the JPEG. <laughs> you know, something I didn't realize is that, um, and I should have realized this, but when Keenzer is uh, graduating from Starfleet, mm-hmm. there are two um, other of his people behind him, and that's his parents. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, no, his parents oh, came. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and they're holding holding him. That's all. And, and they're so small. I, I liked that Kinzer was as a giant on his planet. I thought that yeah. was really funny. It's not only funny, but he has been battling size prejudices his entire life. Right. Yeah, right. so uh heroes are are kind of cool when you when you see them dealing with uh with issues especially uh prejudice and things like that. But this guy had it on both ends. <laughs> right. Too big half his life, too small the other half. Exactly. It's it's funny. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, not cool, but I, I thought it was a neat little turn. Right. Yeah, my my only complaint, aside from Scotty being a big jerk, <laughs> <laughs> which fits, you know, with what he was in the movie, but um, I didn't like that the only way Scott Scotty would, you know, see Kinzer's value is that. Oh, you're you're small enough to get into that little tube that nobody else could get into. I guess I'll keep you around. Well, not only that, but he has a magical touch with diagnostics. Right. That's yeah. the reason why he, you know, he proves his value. Yeah. And that he, you know, he just he, you know, he was able to find the problem to begin with. Exactly. But right. that's not right. what Scotty you know, relents and says, "You're, I was wrong." That's not the part he's focusing on. He's focusing on that your smallness is actually a benefit. I'll let you stay. You know, kind well, of thing, which but, I thought was a little jerky. Well, but the original conversation was he was too small to get at the controls. Mm-hmm. So at least this end of it, where his small size actually came in handy kind of reverses that earlier thought that maybe he couldn't cut it. So, 
I kind of see why they're mentioning that bit of it. But I completely agree that his greater value is not his size, but his magical ability to spot problems. Right. I don't know. It just kind of made me feel like, you know, this guy has a disability, and even though he brings a lot to the table, I'm thinking about moving him to a different area of the ship. And then only until he proves that his disability is actually can benefit him, then he's like, okay, well, you can stick around then. Yeah. Uh, I I just didn't like that part. Well, the whole thing seems pretty contrived. I mean, this guy, Keenzer, is a chief engineer. I mean, he's been a chief engineer for a long time, right? At least five or six years. Yeah. That he's been at the, you know, so he's really, I mean, I don't know how long Scotty's been a chief engineer, but... At least rank-wise, well, okay, so maybe maybe the exact rank might not be exactly the same, but they're very much peers in reality. They're both they they've both been chief engineers, so right, you know, right. W- w- and, w- and I never realized that. I mean, he always seems to be the sidekick guy. Mm-hmm. So the All revelation right. that at Delta Vega, Scotty came along, <laughs> and really it was Keenzer who was the boss is is interesting. I loved it. Yeah, that part was great. Yeah. That that one part was great, and I kind of get it, even though maybe Scotty was the more senior of the two. Right. Scotty, because of the whole thing with the dog, is right. getting reprimanded and, and sent out um, to report to somebody that you know he may or may not be superior to as far as knowledge and, and um, experience. Right. Yep. Anyways, liked it. I, I liked everything about it except that last little part where it was the disability thing. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I thought it was cool that Keenzer was a wimp when he was a kid, apparently. Um, but, man, he grew some big brass cojones by the time he stood up to that uh, red monster, huh? <laughs> just just because you don't want to fight doesn't mean make you a wimp. He was bigger than those kids. I mean, he could have probably, you know, taken at least one of them out before they swarmed him. Sure. You know? well, I mean, all, he, all he had to do is use his weight or and size once. I mean, he should have been running them. <laughs> I mean, really. But I mean, that's what, not his personality. Somebody, well, I know it's not his personality, but jeez. Come on. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you don't realize that you could probably kick at least two of their butts easily at once. But... All right. Well, that's what you have to do with bullies. Anyway, um, let's see. Okay, so the other thing is um, something that kind of occurred to me is now that we know so much about Keenzer and how he's really kind of a miracle worker, now we've got two miracle workers in the in, in, in engineering. And it was kind of like I was thinking, well, hold on. Are we, are they trying to say that that Keenzer's the real miracle worker and Scotty's riding his coattails? Or are they saying that, no, they're both miracle workers and the Enterprise is such a big ship, complicated complicated ship, that there's plenty of room for two medical workers? I'm going with the last part. I think that uh, that Scotty is not riding his coattails. I agree. I agree with that. I, all i got to say is, reading the – this is the last thing I have to say mm-hmm. at this point – after reading these first two issues, I was just thinking, how much 
better these two issues were than the Deep Space Nine ones we re- we read last episode. Well, that's a little unfair because you Is read it? It, yeah because you read anything that's ten years old, it's well, not going to be as good as the current stuff. You think so? I don't know. Yeah, I, th- oh, I, I, definitely I still book. think well, well, maybe comic books, but I still think Casablanca is one of the best movies ever made. And I don't think just because something's newer is that it's better. Uh, I agree with you, but yeah. I, I do think that comic books, for whatever reason, you know, because because over time they they've been taken as a, a more serious storytelling medium. Right. The artwork has gotten slicker and slicker and slicker. That uh, I mean, you read you read a comic book that's twenty years old, and then read it to another one that's newer. You're automatically going to go with the newer one because i always thought that the death of superman and the batman breaking his back you know in hindsight i'm always thinking about those stories which Mm -hmm. which came out in the 90s right those were the greatest most well-written well-drawn comic books i could ever think of reading and then i i cracked them open the other day and they are dated (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like this is what it looked like back then because i in my mind's eye you know, I'm thinking back at those stories, and they're just so riveting. And and the artwork in my mind's eye was was that they were so it was so great. You know, that right. depiction of Batman. And right. then I go back and reread it, and I'm just like, these look horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the same thing goes with you know rereading the '90s Star Trek too. I mean, it's just like right. I remember when these came out. I thought these guys looked exactly like they do in the movies. You know, and and now you look at them like eh, they. They look like cartoons, yeah. but uh, I think it's just – I don't think comic books, because of the, the storytelling styles from then and, and now, you can really compare the two. Okay. It's just – you know you know what I'm saying? This, no, the, I, I know what you're saying, and I, agree, and, and I the, agree with you to some degree, but I'm just saying <laughs> there's no comparison. <laughs> <laughs> These are so freaking much better. Now, mind you, it's also $3.99 for a comic book. Which is pretty pricey, but right. I, oh, adjusted for inflation, I really don't know whether it's comp- comparable or not. Um, uh, how often th- these are coming out monthly, right? Monthly. Yeah, these are coming out monthly, so they got the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have better tools, better printing techniques? Probably now. Oh, yeah, but and now they have Photoshop and all the digital art. Right. Right, the, but you know. but I'm still not sure. So. Well, I, I don't want I don't want to descend into into a comic book production thing, but they've still got uh, pencilers and they've still got colorists. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what tools they're using, but they're probably not as much. You are they still using pencils and stuff, or are yeah. they using Photoshop? I think it's a combination. Yeah. Okay. So maybe the colorist does more like uh, using the computer tools where. The uh, penciler is still the old-fashioned with the pencils. Uh, I've seen people, I've seen a lot of artists use, you know, tablets and stuff when they're drawing yeah. now versus. Oh, you ooh, know, that's interesting. The they use sure. So they capture it right away. Right. With the tablets, mm, that'd be cool. Right. Anyway, for whatever reason, the writing's better, the art's better, and it's just night and day between these comics and what we did last week. Right. Well, last week was maybe a bad example because those weren't. Well. Okay. The, the best of that Well, time. I'll agree with that because 
I think we talked about this last week. Uh, if I had, you know, if we if we prioritize the main three ones we're reading, you know, the Deep Space Nine stories from Malibu are, you know, third best. But even so, but even so, uh, I'm just saying, I'm just taking two data points, <laughs> and oh my God, these are so much better. Anyway, right? They are. These are. But there's also comic books coming out now that that aren't as good as. Maybe the Malibu okay. ones, maybe they're still better than that, but definitely not as good as the old DC stuff, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Because a lot of times, and IDW is guilty of this, mm-hmm. they'll put more emphasis on the artwork and less emphasis on the story. And so a lot of times the story is just like just a bare bones story to, to show you pretty pictures. Or, right. And sometimes even the pictures aren't that pretty, you know? Yeah. It's just like, that was a waste of four bucks, but okay. <laughs> All yes. right, but again, two data points for last week's comics. This week's comics, so much better. Okay, so we ready to go? I'm ready for number three, issue fifteen, mm-hmm. entitled "Mirrored Part One." The writer was Mike Johnson, artist Irfan Fager. Uh, the colorist is Ifansha and Satik. Sakti Tuwano of Stellar Labs. Letterer Neil Yataki, based on the original teleplay of Mirror Mirror by Jerome Bixby. Creative consultant Roberto Orki and editor Scott Dunbar. So the cover within the swoosh ha- is a picture of Zachary Quinto, his version of Spock, sporting a goatee. So we know this is going to be the Mirror Universe. Around the swoosh logo is a uh, round logo of the Terran Empire. And below this is a shot of two Enterprises from the 2009 version of the Enterprise uh, face-to-face as if one is a mirror image of the other. The uh, second cover, black and white version of that one. And the third cover is Ahura with her hair down. From the 2009 movie. So the story starts off with the Enterprise is blazing through warp on her way to the next adventure. While en route, Scotty and McCoy are in the mess hall and having a discussion about timelines and alternate dimensions. McCoy is having a real hard time wrapping his mind around the fact that they are living in an alternate reality compared to the one that old Spock left after the Romulus uh, supernova was destroyed. He asks Scotty if there really is another version of himself and Scotty out there. And then there's a great shot of DeForest Kelly and James Doohan over the two of them to emphasize this possibility. Scotty says there has to be. In fact, there must be a version of him, Scotty, as a poet and not an engineer. McCoy scoffs at this idea and Scotty says, oh, come on, doctor. Surely that's not the worst timeline you can imagine. So then the story plunges into one of those worst possible timelines. The star date puts the story during the events of Star Trek 2009 movie. Captain Spock of the ISS Enterprise has just defeated the Klingon homeworld of Quonos. He has Chancellor Gorkhan on his knees before him. He tells the Klingon that he can either swear loyalty to the Terran Empire or he can die. 
Gorkon tells him that today is a good day to die. To which Sulu obliges with a quick beheading with his sword. Captain Spock asks about Commander Kirk's whereabouts. Sulu says that Kirk left with a strike team to Rora Pinthe. Spock says that the commander is looking for revenge. On Aurora Pinthe, Kirk arrives into the cell of Nero. Kirk starts to beat the Romulan for the death of his father aboard the ISS Kelvin. He tells Nero that they are going to take the Narada and laughs that the Klingons were never able to get it working all these years. Nero says that he will never give Kirk what he needs to operate the ship. Kirk finishes the Romulan off while saying that he did not need information from him since the other Romulan prisoners already supplied it. Aboard the newly liberated Narada, Kirk, Scotty, and McCoy stand on the bridge. Both Scotty and McCoy are amazed at the advanced tech on the ship. Scotty gives Kirk Nero's ceremonial staff, and they take the ship back to rendezvous with the Enterprise. On the Enterprise, Spock tells Ahura that he does not trust Kirk. He also tells her that she is all that he desires. She tells him that he should take his success here on Quonos and return to Earth and receive the glory and power that he deserves. He tells her that the quest for power is a very human thing to do. Chekhov calls the captain and tells him that Kirk has returned. In space, the massive Narada has arrived. Its size is much larger than that of the ISS Enterprise, which is labeled NCC-1701D. The ISS Enterprise looks much like the original movie-era Enterprise, as opposed to the 2009 movie version. It has more of a rectangular nacelle than the roundish ones that we have in the 2009 version. Kirk contacts Spock and tells the Vulcan that he's always too slow to see that everything around him has changed. Kirk is now the one with the power. To prove this, Sulu and Chekhov stand up from their stations and remove their gold tunics. They are then beamed aboard the Narada. Ahura also unzips her red dress, kisses Spock one last time, and then she too beams away. She appears on the Narada bridge near Kirk, and the two of them share a tender embrace. One of the remaining bridge officers informs Spock that the Narada has locked on weapons. Kirk tells the Vulcan that he will remake the human empire for the human race and no longer tolerate aliens. Kirk is about to give the order to fire when Ahura holds her new captain and asks him to reconsider. He coldly tells her that he will beam her back over if she's having second thoughts. She steps down and he orders the ship to fire. The final shot is of the ISS Enterprise blowing up under the Narada's bombardment. To be continued. Big time. This is uh, a very interesting melding of um, mult of the original series Mirror Mirror. Uh, storyline and, and possibilities together with the 2009 continuity with the Narada etc etc to come up with something that at least I was not expecting yes pretty I, cool I liked it a lot yes so uh, 
in the original Mirror Mirror episode, Spock was still the logical guy and was still pretty cool. Um, and Kirk was the power-crazy nutcase. And so, too, here. So that's consistent. Um, but he... Is, so instead of having a little uh, magical thing that'll make people disappear, he's got the stinking Narada. Pretty cool. <laughs> yes, that Very was cool. cool. Yep. And I liked that they tied it in with the it, almost like it was a mirror version of the Nero and Countdown um, miniseries. That you know the the, the Narada is still in orbit of Aurora Penthe, which yes. is in, in Nero, and yep. instead of Nero beaming aboard and going to see V'ger and all that stuff like he did right. it, in the Nero, instead yep. Kurt kicks his ass, breaks his neck, and steals the Narada. Which is so cool, except that, how come Kirk can do that now? Because, I know different dimensions, things are different, but Nero was a, a bad ASS. I mean, he was bad. And a lot stronger than a human, at least in our dimension. Well, he was or the rebooted dimension, also. Right, well, we'll just say that he's, you know, his, his muscles have atrophied due to, you know, sitting in that cell. Well, I don't know. So he, because he, he, he stayed in pretty good shape in the original, uh, in the or in the reboot timeline. Yes, yes, yes. Don't yes, yes, yes. It. Details, details. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was very cool how they underscored how, you know, infinite number of dimensions with an infinite number of things happening, underscored by the fact that the Enterprise in this mirror mirror dimension looks like the movie Enterprise. I thought that was very, very interesting, very cool. I didn't even notice on page one, upper panel of this comic, that it was the old Enterprise. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and I'm wondering, I did mention that during my synopsis that the Mirror Universe Enterprise looks like the uh, movie version. But you're right, even before we go to the Mirror Universe, yes, that Enterprise also looks like the, the normal Wrath of Khan type. Yes, because the discussion that Scotty and McCoy are having, I mean, they I thought that was our new movie dimension. Yeah, it, you know, it should be. I thought that's what it was. Yeah. But it obviously isn't, because this is yet another dimension, which is very cool. Oh, you're going with that one? I was just... I'm going with that one again. I was going to chalk it up to maybe it was an artist's mistake throughout the whole thing. No, I, I don't think that's... No, no, no. No, I think that's completely on purpose. So we've got the original Taz uh, TV and movie universe. We've got the reboot universe, and I am going to call it a different universe. Um, and then we've got a third one at the beginning of this comic, our current comic. And then by um, by ish or page one, two, three, by page four, we're in yet a fourth dimension a fourth version <laughs> and interestingly enough the fourth version uh does have uh, uh an enterprise that's very similar to the movie enterprise however the at the very least the pylons are different that connect the nacelles to the engineering section they're kind of kind of jagged a little bit right right so so you can tell this is Again, yet another version of the Enterprise, because it doesn't have those jaggies at the beginning of this uh, of this issue. 
Right, but it does lose the Jaggies when it blows up on the last page. Good point. Good point. But also, also it's D, which you pointed out. It is D when it shows the close-up at one point. But then, but when you're it, saying at the end when it blows up, it isn't. And when it blows up, it's not D anymore. So well, yeah, but it's there's so much going on that last panel. <laughs> I mean, you really can't clearly. You've got the cocoon over, you know, over that. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But. So w- when I was reading it the first time, I really liked that it was the Enterprise D. Yes. Um, and that it was um. And more of a, you know, a kind of a hybrid between the movie, the two movie universes. Yeah. I liked that. But then when I got to that last page, then that's what made me start thinking, oh, it's just inconsistent artwork all the way through. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, uh, the, the only thing I will, I, I will partially give you is the fact that at the very end when the Enterprise blows up, Okay, it looks like there may not be a D on there, but there's so much going on, it's kind of difficult to say 100% for sure. But um, I, I don't think there was much... I, I think a lot of this was, was purposeful. The different versions were drawn for very specific reasons, and they wanted to get across how... You know, we're, they just threw a lot of dimensions into this comic. Right. <laughs> Which I yeah. think is very cool. So apparently... Uh, with the ISS running the you know the the Federation, um, or Empire, I should say, the Human Empire, or whatever, uh, it must be very hard on ships if they're up to D already. Right. <laughs> and if you really think about it, the um, the Mirror Universe should should have more advanced technology than than the quote unquote real universe. Right. Uh, because they had the, a Constitution class ship, you know, a hundred years before Kirk. Whereas in the real universe, we didn't have a Constitution class ship until, you know, either one of the Enterprises was built, depending on which timeline you want to look at. Oh, you're gonna have to explain that to me. What? It, um, you're, okay, it, you're, about, you're about the 2009 movie continuity. Well, either one. Either that continuity or the original series continuity. Yeah. We did not have a Constitution class ship until the Enterprise was built, or until whatever the USS Constitution was, or whatever you want to say was the first of that line. Okay. Which would have been in the 23rd century. Okay. But in the Mirror Universe, um, they had a Constitution class ship during Archer's time because the USS Defiant. From the Tholian Web episode, not the Tholian Web. Yeah, that was, was the Tholian Web, wasn't it? Went back in time into the Mirror Universe, and Archer and them <sighs> found that ship, and, and so they had that technology way back then. Well, okay, hold. Okay, so so you're trying to say that the Mirror Universe in Enterprise uh-huh. was the same Mirror Universe that's in this comic book? It should be. It's the, supposed to be the same mirror universe. Well, okay. And I'm going to stop you right there, just to say, there's nothing that says that. I mean, just because Spock has a beard doesn't mean it's the same mirror universe. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I, I, I think one of the things they're trying to get across, it, and, and Scotty comes out and says at the beginning, right. there's yeah, an infinite right. number of universes. 
So they can shuffle the deck any way they want to. I, I, I'm you know? not disagreeing with you. But I was reading this as if this was a alternate version of the Mirror Universe. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. As in that I it's I see the same universe that, that we had in, in the Taz? Okay. Yeah, but but with the 2009 movie spin with Nero coming back and you know, oh. changing things up so that by the time we get to this timeline, it doesn't really match what was in the Mirror Mirror, uni- uh, Mirror, okay. Mirror episode. Well, I see what you're proposing, but... But I see what you're saying, too, that this is just yeah. yet another Mirror Universe. Right. Which, you know, like we were saying the other day, I mean, we're talking about the mirror universe of a mirror universe you know you know so we're already in this whole this whole comic book series is a mirror universe (laughs) (laughs) and now we're talking about the mirror universe of that mirror universe so yeah uh maybe it'll get all cleared up next issue oh maybe but i doubt it yeah it doesn't (laughs) (laughs) So um, I love it when Scotty says, damn it, Bones, I'm an engineer, not a poet. Yeah, that was funny. That was good. I like that. And then I like the whole, well, in some universe, I'm a poet. In mm. several universes, I'm a poet. <laughs> I thought that was actually kind of funny. And I like that it was Scotty and McCoy talking on, uh, while they were having the drinks. Mm-hmm. And then it's Scotty and McCoy who are the first people that beam over to the Narada with um, – with Kirk. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes you wonder, is this really happening or is this just the two of them shooting the bull there at the dinner table talking about what oh, is what's possible? Oh, right. well, isn't that an interesting thought? <laughs> they could be making the whole thing up. No, right. I don't think either one of them are uh, creative enough for that. Right. Plus, if you were going to make up your own story, uh, wouldn't you want to be the, the main guy? Heck yeah. <laughs> Captain McCoy. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I really like Spock's Terran Empire battle uniform. The, like, armor? Armor kind of thing, yeah. Right. I think that looks very cool. And it, and, and at first I thought, oh, that's what they always wear. But then later on, uh, yeah, they're wearing something a lot lighter. So right. I, I guess it does. I guess it does look a little bit like it might have been some kind of body armor version of a uniform. Yep. Yep. I, I like those scenes, and I think for the most part, everybody looks like who they're supposed to be, with the exception of Sulu. He does not look like. Um, oh, what is his name? Uh, John Cho or something like that. Right. right. Yeah, his his hair is a lot shorter and plastered to his head. But just his facial his structure doesn't quite look right. Yeah, yeah. It's not 100% spot on, I'll agree. And then I liked how Chekhov was depicted with a mohawk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty freaky. Luckily, we didn't see Chekhov that much, because I think I would have been too freaked out if I had to look at that mohawk much longer. Oh, come on. That was cool. <laughs> oh, it's cool, but it's kind of weird. Um, I thought the, I, the initial pages of this comic... I mean, the Enterprise looked great. Love that. But then, especially this, the third panel from the top that has um, Scotty doing most of, most, most of the dialogue, 
the Scotty face just struck me like it was, I don't know, computer generated or something. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So Scotty's doing most of the uh, talking. Of course not. My devotion to my right, studies right. was the stuff of legend. You know, yeah. and just the look on his face—it just struck me of a computer-generated video game kind of look. Right. That cell shading kind of look. Oh, is that what they call it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess. Now it's all great, and and there's some really good art in here. It's just that, um, you know. Eh, I just was not I was not liking the initial art as much as I did the previous uh issues. Mm. I liked it for the most part. Yeah. There there was some inconsistencies it's, like it's, like the ships and stuff. Yeah. And and some of the facial features sometimes looked off, but overall I enjoyed the art. Yeah. Um yeah, uh so Jason Fajar, I guess did this one. Right. Um it it's good. It's just I, personal preference, I like previous issues better by Stephen Molnar. Right. Yeah, I just like the other ones a little better. So I'm stoked about this this new story arc. So in the original Mirror Mirror, the whole point was our normal, some of our normal characters get beamed into the Mirror Mirror universe. This story, though, could easily not have any of that going on. Just showing what happens without any of our reboot universe folks going into into this story. Right. Uh, however, will they? And it sounds like you've got the, the issue already, so you know. Yeah, I went ahead and read it this, this Okay, morning. don't don't tell me, but um because I, I should be getting it any day myself. But I, I'm I'm kind of intrigued to know whether they, they went down that path or uh are just stick you know trying to do a little bit more of that from the original Taz episode right. or whether they're just sticking, going full guns on this right. storyline the way it is. Right. So in the the Enterprise episode, the Mirror Mirror episode of the Enterprise, I think it's In the Mirror Darkly, I think is the name of the uh-huh. that episode, or it's yeah. a two-parter. Okay. But they did it where it's told 100% from that universe. Has right. a different opening, has, you know, there is absolutely no references to the Archer and to Paul and everybody that, that we, we know. all know and love. Right. right. Okay. Cool. Um, my, my only complaint with with this issue in in comparison to that two parter, yeah, is that the plot lines are so similar. Because in that in that two parter, Archer is second in command to whoever the admiral was. I forgot his name. That was always giving him a hard time in the show. Right. So right. in this continuity, that guy is the captain. Archer is the commander. Yep. He ends up finding the USS Defiant, which is yeah. you know from a hundred years in the future. Right. He ends up stealing it and blowing up the Enterprise, and then going off to you know conquer take over the, everything the Empire. Which right. when I read this issue, I'm like, did they see that show? <laughs> <laughs> Odds are, yes, that was a fantastic episode, and and yes, it it totally makes sense in both in both story arcs, but right, it sure is similar. Yeah, but I enjoyed it, and yeah. it makes sense. And, and but but like I was saying, I was really trying to get in the head that this was the same mirror universe. So in this continuity, they would have already had the Defiant class ship for a hundred years that they probably reverse engineered. So I would think that their Enterprise would be even more advanced than the two thousand nine Enterprise. But that doesn't really match up with the mirror mirror universe the mirror mirror episode 
where it was just the exact same Enterprise. Right. So, who knows? Splitting hairs. We're talking yeah. about alternate universes to alternate universes. So, exactly. Anything so you just got to go with it. Anything to go with it. All right. So, briefly, the expanded universe. Uh, these are all fairly new books, so I have not read them, nor am I trying to know too much about them because because I don't want to be spoiled because I'm, I'm really far behind. But we'll just talk about them briefly. September 2012, there was a, a Typhon Pact novel. This is a series that's been going on that's based after Nemesis that brings in all the all the the post Nemesis story arcs into you know different conflicts. This Typhon Pact thing. Mm-hmm. So you have Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Titan, Next Generation, all mixed together. So uh, this uh, issue or this novel was entitled Brinkmanship by Una McCormick. October 2012, there was a original series, uh, Vanguard series. So there's a Vanguard series, which is similar to Deep Space Nine set in the, the Taz universe or timeline. So there was an e-book entitled In Tempest's Wake by Dayton Ward. Mm-hmm. And a new next-gen post-nemesis novel that c- kicked off a, a new series called Cold Equations. So this was Cold Equations number one. The Persistence of Memory by David Mack. And November 2012, uh, the second book of that series, Cold Equations number two, Silent Weapons, also by David Mack, came out. David Mack is a very prolific uh, Star Trek novelist and yeah, I guess so. comic book writer. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah, I think they've kind of given him free reign. You know, whatever you want to write about, go do it. Because <laughs> uh, he writes a lot. Yeah. So, all right. So next week we'll do episode 109, which we will do 16 and 17 of the um, IDW ongoing. ongoing. Right. So we'll, we'll finish off this this uh, this story arc, the mirrored. Very good. But then we'll also do countdown to darkness number one, which Excellent. I'm looking forward to reading. Can't wait. Me too. So. Between finding out what happens in this very good kickoff issue, mm-hmm. um, 15, and then being able to get the first uh, Countdown to Darkness issue, this is just amazing. My nipples explode with delight how this, how good this yep. next episode is going to be. Right. Yes. It, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> and then... Uh, Going forward, every month we will do whatever the ongoing was that came out the month before, plus the countdown issue that came out the month before, uh, and that will take us all the way up till May when we have uh, the new movie, which I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I just, just it better not disappoint me. That's all I have to say because <laughs> I it's just so built up in my mind now. It's right. almost like, how is this not going to disappoint me in some way? Next week, more IDW greatness. Yes, so two excellent back-to-back episodes of Star Trek Comic Book Review. See you next week, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t 
comicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.